Welcome back to the Comics Course. This is an offering of Miskatonic University's Remote Education Program, offering Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, as a publicly available podcast. Uh, we're back doing From Hell. Now, we have today a delicious watermelon mixed drink, which my nutritionist brought us. It is absolutely delicious, and she promises it's cyanide-free. She and I had a chat, and she said she apologized. She didn't mean cyanide, and maybe I just misheard it, and what she meant was kerosene. Mm -hmm. Now, I did find some sites on the web saying you should drink kerosene, but these are also the places that suggested taking uh, horse deworming for, you know, uh, COVID. So I'm not following that health advice either. Uh, enough of my, you know, personal nutritional journey. Mm -hmm. um, today we're going to talk about chapter 12 of From Hell and all the murder killings over, right? I mean, we've got five dead sex workers in the east end of London. We've got a dead cricket player who may or may not have been homosexual, but, you know, it certainly fit the bill enough to take the fall as one. Uh, and for the Ripper murders, apparently. Because apparently gay guys kill female prostitutes. Yeah, there was also an argument that he had doctors in the family, so he knew how to, you know, cut bodies up. But he himself had no medical training and was a lawyer. And, you know, that's kind of like the argument that since my grandfather played in a cowboy band, that uh, I, I obviously get up and wear country and western boots and sing Roy Rogers songs, um, which I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, you don't really necessarily inherit everything your ancestors do. If that was the case, we'd all be bisexual by now. That's a fair point. And the world would be probably a simpler place in that regard. Mm -hmm. Anyway, chapter 12, The Apprehensions of Mr. Lee. We haven't seen Mr. Lee in a while. Do you remember Mr. Lee? Mm -hmm. what, what do you remember about Mr. Lee? Wasn't he one of the uh, detectives on the case? No, he's the psychic. Oh yeah, sorry, my brain just blanked. Now we open in the we saw him at the very prologue of From Hell mm -hmm. with Aberdeen, 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 Aberline. Sorry, my brain is short circuiting. Um, on the shore in the twentieth mm -hmm. century. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, as they encounter the dead gull and all that. And it triggers their, you know, thoughts about Dr. Gull. So, in the story here, we've seen Mr. Lee pop up a couple of times. Once when he ran into Gull, and Gull was a jerk to him. And once when he went to the police and was like, Hey, you want to catch the killer? I'm a psychic! And the police basically went... Oh, God. Not another one. Not another one. And in fact, historically, the police were flooded with not only mundane recommendations about who Jack the Ripper was, you know, usually somebody's neighbor that someone didn't like, I suspect, uh, but also uh, with plenty of psychics who were like, I will hold a seance and bring forth the ghosts of the victims and point out the killer to you. I mean, this was an age in which psychic stuff was very popular. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that Mr. Lee's a fraud. He admitted it in the prologue that he faked everything for money. And as we open here, we have Mr. Lee talking to Queen Victoria. 
And he says that he sees the ghost of her dead husband floating above her, and he's acting as a conduit and a medium. And, of course, he's making all this shit up and, you know, using the broad, general kind of language that you do that's applicable for almost any situation to avoid specifics. And th this is all bumpkiss. We, we know for a fact that Mr. Lee did not have royal patronage of any form. But here, he chats up the queen, and, you know, they have a nice little time. And he's concerned about her because she seems to be in bad spirits. And he's like, do you want me to call Dr. Gull for you? And here the implication is that Dr. Gull is like this guy who hangs out ready to help any member of the royal family any moment of the day because he's the royal doctor. That's, in fact, not the case. He did uh, look after Prince Albert at one point. He was given... Con commendation for his service. He was given the right to use a certain kind of title and an annual, not even really a stipend, it was more like a small gift uh, from the royal household. But that didn't mean he was around all the time. So as Lee is beginning to leave, he gets an idea in his head. Oh no. And he goes up to the, I don't know what you'd call him, a secretary, a major domo, whatever purpose he serves for the queen. You find that funny? Major domo? I don't know what that means. That's why I laugh. It's, it's basically like a head of affairs. Somebody who uh, uh, kind of manages your your affairs for you in huh. your house. I've yeah. never heard that term. Yeah. And I don't know if they would have used it in Victorian times. Uh, but anyway, so Lee is talking to the fellow and basically he's like, oh, you know, I wanted to go check out my friend Dr. Gull. I hear he's not feeling well. This is what, you know, Vicky said. I mean, I, I refer to Queen Victoria as Vicky because, you know. She's a close personal friend of yours? Well, I mean, I'm reincarnated. You know. Um, I was the horse she rode. <laughs> Look, everybody's always like, I was the Queen of England. I was a pharaoh. Where are the people that were horses and, you know, drug, were slaves who drug stones for the pyramids? I mean, mm -hmm. surely some of us were those people, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Vicky mentions that Gull's not feeling well, which the Freemason leaders mentioned uh, last chapter. And uh, so her secretary says, oh, well, yeah, he lives at such and such. And Lee's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew the street. I just didn't remember the number. Thanks. So he leaves the palace just grinning like an idiot because he's like, I'm going to go fuck with this pompous ass. <laughs> and he decides, the, and he has a recollection, and just in case we the readers have forgotten it, of their exchange, uh, to quote, and this is all Gull staring at Lee in the face and Lee just looking at him like, what? Gull goes, indeed. I am similarly familiar with your work, sir, profiting from... Du uh, I don't even want to read all of it. Anyway, it, it's a long text. You can read it yourself if you read the chapter. Um, he, he makes fun. He, he basically mocks him for being a fake who takes advantage of people. I do find it kind of amusing that Gull, who's doing this Freemason ritual, you know, completely dismisses mysticism. Yeah. But, of course, he believes that the only true mystics are the Freemasons. Mm -hmm. So, Lee takes a cab to the police station, where he 
goes to run into Aberline, and he fakes a fit and falls on the floor, and is like, I have a vision. I know who the Ripper is. The spirits will guide me to him. And then, you know, he recovers from it. He does his whole act. You know, uh, presumably his acting is better than Amber Heard's on the state, on the uh, witness stand. That's a low bar. It really is. And he ends up, you know, kind of being like, oh, go north. While, like, keeping an eye out the Hanson. Is that Brook Street? I think so. Yeah, turn left. The spirits guide me. Not because I have a specific address I'm going to. And so they go walking along the road, and then he points at number 74. There! The Ripper lives there. And Aberline's like, oh, fuck. Now, in actual history, uh, Mr. Lee was pretty much ignored by the police. But in this fictional account, Lee is a close associate of the Queen, so Aberline puts up with it. Now, they don't know who lives at... uh, Well, Lee knows who lives at the house, but Aberline doesn't. So they get to the house, and a maid answers, and like, we want to speak to the master of the house. The wife shows up. Uh, uh, it's the police. And it just kind of keeps going. And eventually, in the course of this dialogue, the wife says to him, The very idea. Do you honestly think that these sordid atrocities could be the work of a man like my husband? A man like Sir William Gull, her royal majesty's surgeon? And the facial expression... Well, why don't you describe the facial expression of Aberline here? Uh, he looks ready to cry in a corner. He he looks like he wants to run for it. Yeah. He looks like, oh, what fucking shit did Lee drag me into? And, of course, this is kind of revenge against Aberline, too, because Aberline tossed... Lee out earlier. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like, I can point the guy who was a jerk to me at the gu- another guy who was a jerk to me, and they can be pissed at each other, and, you know, he's just going to think it's a funny joke. He's having fun with the puppets. And it's so absurd, he doesn't expect anything to come of it except a bunch of embarrassment. And, you know, he's going to get a nice little laugh at everybody. He may even admit that, you know, it was just for a laugh. And then, eventually, Gull does show up and says, I am Sir William Whitney Gull. How may I help you? Uh, and Aberline stands up and is like, um, uh, yeah, uh, Look, uh, I'm sorry about this, Sir William. It's just that we uh information. And uh, uh, look, look, we'll just chat a second and we'll be on our ways. It's about the murders in Whitechapel. I mean, I know it's silly, but, you know, we have to check these things out and... You see, what it is, somebody thought you were the culprit. You're Jack the Ripper. So he just looked at him and Sir Gold goes, I am. Pin wow. drop. I mean, at that point, you know, it's just mic drop, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone's just standing around like, oh, fuck. Who just admits that... What? He's the worst murderer ever. Right. First so, he needs grapes, then he needs a guy to ride him around. Then he admits to being the murderer. Right. Crap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he says he's had some blackouts recently and things seem weird. And as he stops talking, his wife basically says, I knew it. What? And I'm like, what? You just said it couldn't be him. So, yeah, and, uh, of course, Lee is over in the corner, like, 
Oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. I mean, we don't see him saying this, but it's in his face. Yeah. Um, and then Goal turns to Lee and goes, Tell me, Mr. Lees, have you ever truly had a vision? A real vision? I, uh... Goal walks up behind him like a creepy pederast (laughs) and whispers in his ears. Well, ear. No, I didn't think so, but I have. I hope Mr. Lee wore his brown pants that day. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (coughs) So in our final panels of the page, they just kind of walk out. Goal is left there with his wife. And Aberline just stands leaning against the railing outside Gull's house while Mr. Lee sits on the curb. And they're just like, oh, God. Um, because now something is clearly at play. This guy isn't just a psycho killer. They know about his connections with the royal family and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if he's just a psycho killer, it would look bad for the royal family. Mm-hmm. Which, I know, the, Americans always seem surprised by this. Modern Brits don't really care about the royal family that much. I mean, I'm sure they have some people obsessed with it. Um, and there are people who want to get rid of the royal family. But for the most part, modern Brits just view it as an amusing anachronism. Uh, back then, it was a very much a part of the the identity of the British nation. Indeed, I mean, it was still colonial errors, the British Empire. Meanwhile, nowadays, she's more of a mascot. Although a very wealthy one. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of modern Brits aren't happy with the royal family not paying taxes, and that's a whole other issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, if I was a Brit, I would want them to pay taxes too. Yeah. So, they go back... Now to the new superintendent who's been superintendent for all of, you know, a few days, basically. And when we first get to see him, he has his head in his hand going, merciful God. And he's like, look, you didn't tell anybody else, right? All right. Keep your goddamn mouth shut. And they're like, what? Can we do that? And you're police. Of course you can. Well, but Lee isn't. Mm hmm. So they agree to keep their mouth shut. And of course, he takes it to the other Freemasons because Alan Moore is having fun with the Freemasons being the source of all evil in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I don't know if you know this, but historically, there have been so many over-the-top conspiracy theories about the Freemasons. Oh, yeah. They, they make great sort of targets for this. Um, and kind of brought it on themselves to some degree with, you know, their... Uh, love of the sense of mystery about their doings. That was their master plan all along. Right. So, ultimately Goal is now brought in front of the High Council of Freemasons, or whatever you call them. I'm I'm not particularly interested in Freemason conspiracy lore, so I don't know all the titles. Yeah. And he's interviewed and basically says that he was taking care of everything, and the Freemasons come up with a plot. And they basically decide they need to get rid of gold quickly to avoid questions. But they shy away from killing a senior member of the Freemasons. So they get him declared dead uh, by his own son-in-law, who's a doctor. And they bury an empty coffin with rocks in it. Uh, And then 
basically planned to put him away in an asylum. As he very much needs to be. And although they don't show it, the implication is that they probably lobotomized him in the same way that he lobotomized uh, Albert's wife at the very beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. So that she couldn't talk anymore. Mm. I'm not sure how lobotomizing people is kinder than offing them. Uh, Seems pretty horrible to me. And if you remember, when time was being fiddly and weird... He was laying in a room looking up through fingers and somebody was calling him Tom. Tom Mason. Well, that's because he was seeing his own future. They renamed him Tom Mason, lobotomized him, and threw him in an asylum. How kind. Mason, M-I-S-I-N, as a little amusement on Freemason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, there's tons of detail in here to read more granularly, but that is the chapter, The Apprehension of Mr. Lees. Um, What do you think? What do you think about the twist of having Jack the Ripper found out because he was a jerk to somebody, so somebody decided to play a practical joke on him? A fake psychic. I, I think that's fun. And kind of fits the... And kind of fits the... Ridiculousness of this theory, anyways, that he was the actual Ripper. Right. I mean, Moore is having fun with this, and he's mm-hmm. being, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. If this, if you read this as a radical tonal shift, like, oh my God, they're going to make a joke at this point after all this horror, then you've kind of missed the point that it's been a joke all along. A dark joke, really dark joke, but nonetheless a joke. And I, and I like the addition of the sale asylum because that's actually an actual theory of what may have happened to Jack the Ripper and that's why the murder stopped. Right. There, there are many speculations about that. As well as uh, there was a fellow who, there, who was a sailor who ended up executed in New York after assaulting a woman. Uh, although the M.O.s really don't quite fit. And serial um, killers don't change their M.O.s. They just get more dramatic. And, and more evolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there are some rare exceptions of serial killers that change M.O.s. But usually those that have the capacity to do that uh, change it up frequently so as to not be tracked. Mm -hmm. And that, in its own fact, is kind of their M.O. Right. Because some serial killers are fixated on their M.O. while others are fixated on other aspects of their Mm -hmm. case. Uh, For some, the M.O. is a part of however they're gaining gratification from it. Yeah. Uh, Which is the common theme with serial killers, that they're seeking some sort of gratification. Uh, which is true even of Goal here. Goal is seeking a gratification. It's just tied up into this insane godhead uh, ritual stuff. But it is still a sense of gratification. That is why after the murder of who he thinks is Mary Kelly, you know, he's exultant and holding his arms up like, you know, he's standing on top of a fucking Olympian dais about to get a gold medal shoved up his ass or something. Um. <laughs> well, he's old. He needs suppositories. Yeah. Um, so we have several more chapters to go and it it is kind of downhill from here but I'm still looking forward to them Mm -hmm. because I think there's some fun content to still talk about especially when we talk about the dance of the goal catchers which was kind of almost like an afterword published not as part of the series uh, but but is worth reading in context Mm mhm So what do you think about blending true crime with this ulterior 
meaning. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last episode, but has your, have your thoughts changed any with seeing the comedic turn in this one? No, I, th- I think it's fun and refreshing, especially for a case that most people have heard about over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think From Hell is actually worth multiple reads. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've enjoyed rereading it, and I've always loved Ripperology, even mm-hmm. when I was a teenager. Okay. Well, we're going to... It's Pride Month. Uh, we're going to keep going with From Hell this month, but we're also on Thursdays dropping LGBTQ plus related material. And the next one up after this is going to be one called Gender Queer, a memoir. So congratulations so. for Pride Month. You get dead prostitutes and queer stuff. Well, the dead <laughs> prostitutes aren't for Pride Month, to be clear. I'm not, I'm not doing stories about... And most of them were straight, I'll have you know. Although, obviously, Mary Kelly wasn't. But... I, you're the one laughing at the idea, you sick person. I know. Keep reading comics. Bye. Bye.